I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 14 and then over into Luke chapter 15. I'm making an assumption in this. Um, the chapter, the chapter numbers and verse numbers were put into the Bible by the Archbishop of Canterbury, a guy called Stephen Langton, in the 12-1300s. It was put in for convenience so that we could find our way around. Unfortunately, in our reading of these numbers, we kind of assume, perhaps you don't, but kind of assume that the change of a number means a change of time or place even. And in reading these, this passage, I'm just assuming that it's all the same occasion, even though we've gone past a number. Okay? So beginning at chapter 14 and verse 25. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now then, I'm going to stop there for a moment. Uh, I'm assuming that you understand Jesus is not telling us to hate our father and mother. The first commandment, the promise, is to honour our father and our mother. It's the first commandment with with promise. And Jesus tells us to honour the commandments. And we know that when Jesus Christ himself was dying on the cross, in actual fact, in spite of the fact that he had just been scourged and strips of flesh were hanging off his back, and he himself was in agony, pinned with nails to wooden stakes... He took time from the cross to make certain that his own mother was settled with John, the beloved disciple. Jesus is not telling us to hate our families. He's saying that we're to love God with everything we've got and to love God above all other things, including family. And I have to say, over the years, I've come across people who love their families so much God gets a second look in. We're to honour God. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, the person began to build and he wasn't able to finish Or, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and he'll ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure heap. It's thrown out. Most of their salt came from the Dead Sea. It had impurities in it. 
uh, gypsum and another one that uh, its name I can't remember. And uh, it had to go through a process to, be, to, be, to become tasty and edible. So he's saying salt is good, but if it's lost, it's saltiness. We're going to follow Jesus. We have to go through a process to be salty and taste properly. And then he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Hey, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Perhaps he means who think they do not need to repent. Perhaps I'm putting words into Jesus' mouth. Jesus is the centre of this story. The crowds have come to see Jesus. I'm assuming that you've come to me with Jesus. That we come here because we have a time to come apart and breathe deeply of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been given a Sabbath opportunity. So this is about Jesus, but it's also about responses to Jesus, isn't it? The tax collectors were sinners, so the Pharisees said. The Pharisees come out badly in this event. I want us to remember that not all Pharisees were bad people. They had, their, they had their histories, maybe. But uh, Paul of Tarsus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. They come out in the end, okay, don't they? <laughs> Not all Pharisees were evil or wicked. We can't overgeneralize here. But they were a bunch of people who in their fraternities considered themselves more righteous than others by the acts they do and the way they treated the law and uh, by the sort of nitpicking way they even looked after their own lives and then applied their nitpicking to other people. So we have here some tax collectors and sinners Sinners are people who have gone astray from the virtuous path. Okay? And we have some Pharisees. Interestingly, we have Jesus saying, if you have ears to hear, listen to what I'm saying. We have tax collectors and sinners who are Drawing near in order to hear is what the Greek and this passage tells us. And we've got Pharisees there who have drawn near, but all they can do is mutter. They're not listening to Jesus. 
they're making judgments about what is going on. So today, the word of Jesus, I'm holding the Bible up and facing the congregation with it, just letting you know if you're on the podcast. So I'm holding up to you on the podcast as well. I'm saying the word of Jesus is, if you've got ears to hear, then hear. So my question is, and you answer God, have you got ears to hear God today? Is that what you're here for? And then we've got these sinners and publicans who, as far as the Pharisees are concerned, are worthless. And they have drawn near. And they do want to hear. So whatever your past or your week, have you drawn near? Do you want to hear? And we've got a bunch of people here who are mutterers, grumblers and murmurers. So I want to ask you whether actually all you want to do is to decide whether this suits your fancy or not, whether the sermon's too long or too short, whether the hymns are okay or we were standing up too long or whatever. The good people in this story, as it turns out, were the sinners and the publicans because they came to hear. So there's an irony that faces us when we listen to this parable. And the irony is this, that the sinners and publicans were people who by the nature of their life, however they got into this falling away, this lostness, this sheep lostness, however that happened to them, they are now not going astray, they are drawing near. And Jesus in this parable is saying, whatever your background, your past, your week, whether things have gone well with you or bad with you, whether you have actually been living for Jesus or just stuff that for the last week or months. If you're drawing near to here, whatever the Pharisee may see, Jesus is really pleased to have you here. Because the shepherd loves to loves the sheep so much he's going to look for it. And when the sheep comes looking for him, that's even better, isn't it? So, the irony is this. Those who are going astray are drawing near. But those who think they're okay, thank you, are the ones who at the end of this series of events are found to be the ones who are far away from God, actually. There are three parables here, you remember, I didn't read them all. There's the parable of the lost sheep. There's the parable of the lost coin. I'm not familiar with lost sheep myself. I'm a townie. I was brought up in London. Sorry about that. I live in Bristol. I have been in the country for a while, but I've seen the agriculture, but I've never understood, I've never stood the animal farming. So lost sheep is lost on me. 
Um, the lost coin, that's a bit different. I have a wife, and she has earrings. And they're not expensive earrings. But every now, a red one or a blue one gets lost. And I can tell you that as though it was the coin in the next parable, the house is turned upside down. The cushions are taken apart. The sofas are taken apart. We look, I look under the sofas. We trace back everywhere we've been. We even make phone calls if necessary until that little blue earring which goes so well with the blue jumper is discovered again. And then she'll ring up my daughter and say, Hey, Lisa, I found it. You know that little blue earring I've lost? I found it. That's fantastic. And at the other end of the phone, I can always hear my daughter saying, Yes, yes, I was worried about your blue earring, Mum. <laughs> so the middle story is something I understand. And Jesus is saying that the lost sheep, the lost person, the one who's gone astray, is, is as important to him the lost person is as important to him as that lost sheep is to the shepherd that that lost coin stroke earring is to your wife or daughter. Do you understand? But then we have this story of the prodigal son. And there's an extra character in this. There's the father longing for the prodigal son to come back looking out for him every day, the father representing God, longing, 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 disregarding all the bad reports that come back to him because he's still this boy's father. And even though socially he shouldn't be caring about this son and spiritually he should be considering him dead, this father waits for his son and when the son comes to himself and comes back, he has a party. My son was lost and he's found, he was dead and he's alive again but we've got another character. And this other character presumably represents the grumblers on the sidelines who are furious that the father should love this sinning son so much. Furious and himself because of his own righteousness, self-righteousness, refuses to go into the party. So here we have an irony. It's about people coming to Jesus, listening, giving attention, nitpicking different people. And the irony is that the nitpickers who know so much that they can pick nits, at the end of this sequence of parables are the ones who are seen on the outside and missing out on God. And it's those sinners and those publicans who come there with their guilt, with their background, with their pain, to hear Jesus, who are the ones who are subsequently rejoiced over. Now that's an irony, isn't it? The shepherd goes out to look for the sheep. He is passionate about these sheep, we're told. Oops, time is passing. He's passionate about these sheep. He goes out and he doesn't give up until he finds it. This is what the scripture says. It says, all of us have gone astray 
like sheep. We have turned everyone to his own way. Maybe you've been doing that over the last few weeks or months or years. Perhaps you've lost the vitality of the faith in Jesus that you first had. Perhaps those things that have excited you, perhaps you've been robbed of them by bad teaching somewhere in the Old Testament. God is so angry with the shepherds who lead sheep astray. Teach them bad things. Encourage them to think doubtful thoughts and disagree with God's ways. So, for some of you, maybe you've been robbed of the splendor of your first love, the joy of knowing Jesus, the daily experience of encountering him in prayer and knowing the presence and grace of his Holy Spirit. And so, you become miserable and downhearted and lost. Maybe you're here. I want you to know the shepherd loves you so much that however far you think you may have gone and however impossible you may think it will be to claw your way back, the shepherd is actually out looking for you and he's not going to give up till he finds you. The Lord has laid on him, we're told, all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord God has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And Jesus said that he is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Which means that in searching for you and searching for others, whatever pain or humiliation he has to go through to find you, he is willing to bear that because it's been laid on him by the decree of the Father that he should find you, rescue, bring you back, renew you, and re-establish you in that relationship you had with God those years ago. Jesus came for the lost sheep of Israel. Isn't that wonderful? Have you lost the love you've had at first? I'll tell you what Jesus says. It's in the Bible. I'm just quoting him. Consider how far you have fallen. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. And then look out, look up. There is Jesus looking for you. He's reaching out. The Jesus you once believed in as a real saviour who really forgives, who really cleanses, who really blesses you, who is not dead and is not just a theory in somebody's mind, isn't just a creedal statement that Jesus who really died for you 
is really waiting for you to reach out, just to bleat, maybe, and say, okay, come back, lift me up, let me lift you up. I want to encourage you today to do that. There's a communion here. What better place to do that? What better place to say, well, I strayed like a lost sheep. I lost the vitality of my faith. I started coming here just out of habit. I've been sitting down and not really waiting to hear you because I didn't think you'd want to speak to me anyway. What better occasion just to say, Jesus, here am I. Rescue me. Rescue me. And I can't tell you what the sensation or experience will be to you because we're all different. But this shepherd lifted up the sheep and put him across his shoulders and carried him home, which I understand is a way by which shepherds and sheep bond with each other. So Jesus wants to lift you up, hear your prayer, touch you again with his spirit, bring to life in you the things that you have forgotten and to bond with you again, being very patient with you as you slowly renew the habits of faith and love which you lost. Isn't that brilliant? It's even more brilliant if you do it. But how are you going to stay back? Well, for the next five weeks, not next week, because next week there is a special walking and meeting thing, so that you come here if you want to go out walking and meeting people in the street, you come here at, what time is it? Three. And then you come back at four for something to eat and to, to, to share together and to pray and to just encourage one another. So not next week, I suggest if you're coming, if you're saying, Lord Jesus, find me, bring me back, I'm on my way back, my recommendation is you come to that four o'clock next week, okay? But after that, every week when there's not one of those things, I'm going to be here, I'm going to be in the, what do we call it, the creche room out there. And what we'll do is, you want to get back slowly with God. We'll meet together. We'll look at the scriptures. We won't do Bible study. We will look at scriptures. We will examine things like temptation and prayer or the things which have been a real struggle to you. It will be interactive. We will be relational. We're going to talk with one another, share with one another, pray with one another, encourage with one another. And we do that excluding the special occasions. We do that four times just to begin to find our way back together. And if you think you're alone in this, God spoke to me this week. Caleb has almost been, I don't know it, I will live to be 85. If I do, I want to be able to say, give me this mountain. But it was kind of prophesied over me a long time ago, you're Caleb. I was reading about Caleb this week. The reason he went through all the wilderness years and survived into the promised land was that he served God unreservedly. 
unreservedly. And God spoke to me this week and said, David, you have not been serving me unreservedly. So we're in this together. And I just want you to know that I've said to God, okay, God, I'm sorry. I want to serve you unreservedly. So we would do that. There may only be a handful of us in there on Sundays, beginning the week after next, but seeing you here next week for the other thing. And we'll just work through these things together, okay? But notice, the Pharisees rejected Jesus and the sinners and publicans acknowledged him. And they were acknowledging the one who had said, if anyone comes to me, he must love me even more than family, even more than life itself, utterly and wholly to be my disciple.